1: It is a three oh five on the six thirty Chad afternoon news. Thanks for joining us on this gorgeous afternoon. Our leadership series continues today uh, with a woman who was born into the political world. She was two when her when her father helped found the Alberta NDP. Uh, she was four when her dad Grant Notley became party leader. Then forty six years later, forty six years later, in two thousand and fourteen, I remember that night I was at the Neil Diamond concert. She became no it was in 2014 she became the leader of the party uh, her dad found and then one year later in 2015 was the night of the Neil Diamond concert that we were all at um the party formed government for the first time in Alberta. Premier Rachel Notley joins us in studio today to talk leadership, but has agreed, of course, to talk uh, some pipeline business first. Thank you for joining us. Great
2: to be here.
0: All right, let's get right to it, because I think uh, as interesting as I know the leadership conversation will be, uh, Albertans all want to know about this pipeline. So let me start with this. You've said today or uh, late yesterday that you're very unhappy with Ottawa's decision not to appeal uh, the ruling. um that uh, there was not significant enough, uh, uh, what do they call it? Consultation. Uh, Consultation, yeah, with indigenous groups and other uh, stakeholders. Um, But our prime minister has said that there would be, he hasn't said it would be pointless, but he's basically said an appeal process is several years and it would actually push the project back. So why would you, I'm sure you're familiar with the legal process, so why would you be unhappy that it's not being appealed if in fact that would simply delay the project by another two or three years?
2: Well, because our view is that uh, you can do take uh, work one strategy more than one strategy at the same time. So, no question that uh, that the appeal is is a longer term solution. And even there, it's only if you win, and you can, as we've all learned, never predict the courts. And and to be clear, what really struck it down? I mean, it was the consultation, but it was also the whole NEB process that had been set up uh, well before 2015, which was found to be flawed as well. Um, but that being said. Uh, uh, our view is that it's one strategy, and even though what the federal government is doing now, which is by essentially working uh, very rigorously to follow the instructions of the Court of Appeal to to meet their standards and, and restart the process, um, the fact is, you know, that hasn't happened yet. So what I've been saying is, listen, uh, if you're building a house and you have several tools, you don't pick your favorite one and lock all the rest into the toolbox and then before the house is finished.
0: That's true, yeah. but, uh, sorry to interrupt, mm-hmm. If if it is true that it takes three years for an appeal, Mm -hmm. that's certainly not acceptable to any Albertans that we wait (laughs) three years for a pipeline.
2: Absolutely not. So what I'm saying is that we keep going on with what the... Federal government is doing right now, which is uh, we we follow the instructions of the federal court of appeal, which is they you know they've they've uh, outlined a plan for the NEB to uh, re re uh, reconsider and consider marine safety and issue a decision by February, and then they fix what went wrong in terms of the consultation. So they're following the struct- instructions of the federal court of appeal. The key the, the issue though is that until that is done uh, and in a timely way, and we don't exactly. Know how that process is going to play out yet, um, then you also keep uh, you 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 also keep the other option open, and by not by deciding now not to appeal, then if ultimately the the first strategy gets uh, hung I up, you don't, have you don't have the ability gotcha. to also run the appeal. So that's that's been our view is that you keep all your options open, and so we don't think it was the right decision. Uh, we understand uh, why they're doing it, but we just don't agree that it was that that. St- st- Tactically, that they took their best approach.
1: Premier Notley, many believe, and we hear about it all the time uh, on this show, that the Trudeau government simply isn't doing enough on this file, not pushing hard enough, showing, not showing enough leadership on it. Do you believe that the Trudeau government is doing enough
2: on this? Uh, and what would you like them to do more of on this file? Well, at this point, I mean, you have to understand, I mean, we were at a place where they were doing enough. I mean, uh, uh, when Kinder started to walk away, we pushed them, we pushed them very hard to step in and deal with the uncertainty by doing what they did at the the, uh, end of the spring by buying Kinder Mm -hmm. Morgan. And uh, while we didn't want anybody to have to end up in that position, the fact that they bought it, it was clear they had skin in the game. The reality was is they were going to push forward and that was clear so so, to that so that was good uh, the um, the uh, uh, decision of the Federal Court of Appeal was not the federal government's mm-hmm. uh, you know I mean they, they, they obviously messed up the consultation in uh, during uh, two thousand and sixteen, but quite frankly, they also inherited a, a process that was already broken by the very definitive decisions taken by the Harper government. So you know, they inherited the problems that contributed to the Federal Court of Appeal decision. No federal government can tell a court how to rule. So, you know, that is what it is. I uh, want this to go faster. I want them to move faster. We are pushing as hard as we can. As I said before, I think there was also a legislative option that they uh, could have uh, also pursued. Uh, I do understand that the legislative option itself probably wouldn't have survived appeal if they hadn't also consulted on that. So that was a third strategy, one that probably also would have taken longer than the one that they're currently following. But it goes back to the same issue that I was talking about with respect to the federal court of appeal. Keep every tool beside you. Use every tool, and that way you've got a fallback if the first one breaks. And uh, and so that's where I think they they need to be, could have been doing more. They're worried about the message that sends around the uh-huh. consul- consultation. I don't. I think that you can overcome that message by just doing the consultation right.
0: All right. One last question on pipelines, then we'll take a break, right? Switch mm-hmm. over to uh, leadership. I'm excited to do that as well. Mm-hmm. I'm not very bright, so dummy this down for me. Here's what I don't understand. You've said, and your government has stated, this pipeline is going to get built. Our prime minister has said, this pipeline is going to get built. If both those statements are true, why are we consulting? It seems like it's a funny practice to say, we've already decided what's going to happen, now we're going to go back and consult.
2: Well, I think, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I think probably the feds are leaving themselves a little bit of room on that last last statement. But either way, the issue here is you don't consult on consent. This is not about a veto. It's about how you do it. And it's about what you do to address the legitimate and reasonable concerns of First Nations. So for instance, on, and this is the other thing that is, is, is so irritating, on the matter of marine safety, even though the NEB didn't consider it because they were told by the previous Conservative government not to consider it, after the fact, the federal Liberals did come in with a billion-dollar marine safety program that is designed to address the concerns of many Indigenous communities. That. Fact was not considered by the NEB because they were told not to consider uh-huh. it, and then the Federal Court of Appeals said, "Oh, you had to consider it." I mean, it is, it, huh. it is. We're getting lost in ridiculousness here, but nonetheless, it, it's it's a, a result of a lot of people making decisions over the course of three or four years that kind of piled up. But uh, the point, in answer to your question, is you can consult, you can accommodate, you can uh, up to and including, you know, giving people, uh, you know, community benefits, greater community benefits doing more to protect the environment, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't get built.
0: Then why don't we start building it? Why don't we just start building it then?
2: Because we don't have the permission to do it. And you can't start building if you have to ultimately change the direction a little bit or you have to bring people in and give them more money to get get access to their land or you have to bring in more environmental assessment before you start building all those elements of it. And so that's why. Hmm.
1: Just quickly, one more thing. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people that um, call into this show and say, OK, well, we don't have a pipeline, uh, but we still have a carbon tax. We need to get rid of the carbon tax. We don't have a pipeline. Um They want to know,
2: when are you getting rid of the carbon tax? Well, what I've always been very clear to say is Our government ran on the fact that uh, we needed to take real action to combat climate change and that we needed to work with our energy industry to uh, reposition ourselves uh, as a sustainable and responsible energy producer on the world stage. That was something we did separate and apart from the Trudeau government, separate and apart from the pipeline issue, and we developed our climate leadership plan and introduced it basically a week or two after the Trudeau Uh government was elected. The two were separate. What we said was we would participate in the pan-Canadian framework, which is the Trudeau government's climate change plan, which kicks into effect in Alberta in, I think, 2021, something like that, in return for getting that darn pipeline built, and that we would support it. But we, and, and as a result, we've now said we don't anymore because we've got this delay. But that is separate and apart from the the uh, issues that we were trying to address through our climate leadership plan. Walking away from our climate leadership plan would mean cancelling the Green Line. It would mean cancelling the LRT expansion here in Edmonton. It would mean uh, 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 not supporting workers as we move away from uh, relying on coal. It would mean all the things that uh, it would mean b- backing away from the massive investment in renewable energy that we are attracting to Alberta, we are now the continental number one destination for new renewable energy investment. Uh, that is long overdue. We should have been leader on it a decade ago. Now we are. All those things come from the plan and, and the first part of that plan that involved the carbon levy that people are currently paying. And so that's something that was not linked to the pipeline. The uh, the PanCanadian framework was linked to the pipeline, and we've cut that until we get this thing built.
0: All right. Let's take our break. Uh, when we come back, we'll uh,
2: we'll talk leadership. We'll
0: talk uh, <laughs> leadership. We'll we'll talk about what we told the premier we were going to talk about. <laughs> yeah. uh, that coming right up. Mm.
1: Premier Rachel Notley joining us in studio this afternoon. We've been talking about pipelines. We are going to switch to what we wanted to talk to her about. Well, we wanted to talk to her about that as well, as well the
0: leadership series <laughs> as well. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Thanks yeah, for having me. Yeah,
1: thanks for there. saying you, Come <laughs> back in a.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's get to it, though, because you know what? Uh, obviously, it was great news to hear that you were coming in. You're perceived as a leader, uh, obviously, where, you know, a quarterback, we have to sort of convince people mm-hmm. that, that their leaders mm-hmm. are not leaders. What's the best part? Well, no. Let me start here. Are some people just natural-born leaders, or or are some people just unable to be followers?
2: Uh, no, I don't think that's true. And I think really, when you when you talk about the the, the notion of leadership, you know, I mean, I've done a lot of stuff uh, in my career, and certainly since I've been premier to talk about ways in which we can. Uh, Increase opportunities for people who are not normally seen in leadership positions, uh-huh. uh, you know, m- women and 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 uh, people who are from other marginalized communities or groups. And I think the key thing is that we need to construct the idea of leadership differently uh, and think about it differently. Uh, because in fact, people, if, if you think about your own life, you think about your, you know, your friends, your community, you think about, okay, well, what, what matters to me in my life? Oh, this thing where we all went out camping together, you know, me and three and four other families and we had a great time well who led that you know and 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 how did they lead it well because they did the work to set it up they planned it mm-hmm. they they invited everyone they created a, a nice environment for everyone to go and that person is a leader in your life right, hmm. All right. and and so how do we define leader and I think it's really important that uh, that we move away from sort of uh, old-fashioned uh, ideas of it that tend to sort of push out uh, certain people because I think our leaders should reflect our whole population. And um, so I don't know what your question is. It yeah, it. Well, is it fair to say,
0: well, is but not everybody can be a leader though, right? And, and in my mind, not everybody can be a leader. Not everybody can be a follower. And I know it's, it's mm-hmm. nice to think that they could. Um, I've never joined a committee that I didn't end up being the chair of. Like I can you know what I mean? Like I can't sit on a committee. Because I think I'll do it better, right. so there, there has to be some. So
2: maybe you're the chair. Maybe you're the one that everyone's going. Oh, how do we get this? <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> oh, I'm almost yeah, guaranteeing yeah. You that.
2: Yeah. Anyway, I don't think we should. People. I. I, don't, I My point is, I don't think people. I, I worry <sighs> sometimes about people limiting themselves because they define themselves a certain way, and then they never give themselves opportunities, and so um, and they and they they self-limit, and I don't think that's that's great for anybody. So
1: this background this uh, how how you've grown up and you know having with your 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 dad your mom the political background that you that you came from who was your mentor in leadership and 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 uh, what was that lesson that sticks in your your brain all the time?
2: Well, again, you know, if, if you talk about my family, uh, it, it kind of goes back to what, a little bit of what I was just saying. I mean, people always talk about my dad and, uh-huh. and to be clear, he obviously was a mentor. I mean, I grew up in rural Alberta. Uh, he was the MLA. He never actually won by more than about five or 600 <laughs> votes. Um, so it was always very tight. So a lot of people had strong opinions about his politics. They didn't always necessarily agree with him. And he spent his time representing all of them. And, uh, and so what I learned from him Ultimately, was was just the value of incredible hard work, Um, and and that uh, if you if you handled things with integrity and with focus and. authenticity and hard work, that you could move people and move positions uh, much more than people would have expected. And so uh, he was an incredible example for that. My mother was that other kind of leader uh, that we were just talking about, a little bit like you though, because she too would um, immediately try to start chairing every committee. But the point is, is she was one of those community folks who uh, was very active in, in the community, not as a leader, but as sometimes as a follower, but, you know, sometimes followers end up being pushers, you know, because they're sure. following, but they're yep. actually pushing the mm-hmm. people in front of them. So that's a, a lot of what she did. And and, uh, and she also, you know, she. I mean, she was a uh, uh, very involved in the church, very involved in, in social justice issues, um, and uh, she taught me a lot. And uh, so I, I had the benefit of both
0: of them. <laughs> What's the difference um, when you achieved leadership, the leadership role of the, your party, What's the difference between that and being the leader of the government? What adjustments do you have to make? I mean, is there a different skill set for both?
2: Um, you know I, I don't think so I think that um, I think in both cases and probably other folks that you've talked to will say this too is that um, really you have to create environment for the people who are around you uh, to be able to do their best um, and I was at a at an event a couple weeks ago and we were talking about where we were and where we are now and talking about how you know when I became leader of the party I led a caucus of four and a staff of eight and and now I lead a caucus of, of uh, 54 and a staff of about 250 and uh, and so um, it's about create trying to work very hard to create the environment for people to be inspired to, to do their best and also to have the space to, and the support to do their best. And I think that uh, obviously the objectives change between the two roles you just described because as Premier I have to serve the whole province and uh, I actually also, of course, lead the government mm-hmm. uh, above and beyond uh, um, the political side of things. I lead, uh, you know, tens of thousands of employees and incredibly dedicated public servants. And so uh, it's a matter of trying to, so there's many, many, many more issues that I deal with now than I did when I was simply the leader of a political party. Um, But it's, I think, still ultimately the same rule, which is why when we ran, one of the things that was very clear right from day one uh, when I was running for office was one of the things we need to do is we need to ensure stability because we need to let some of the, the the good, hardworking folks that are working on behalf of the people of Alberta have the room to do the job that they need to and not make them political footballs and give them the stability to do their best work. And that's what we've tried to do in the health care system. That's what we've tried to do in education and a lot of other areas. We often like to ask this
1: question, mm-hmm. um, and it's usually what was your worst day on the? Jo- what's been your worst day on the job? <laughs> what's been your best day on the job?
2: Oh man, that's a that's a toughie. Um, there, I will say for sure, the day that uh, that the federal court of appeal decision came down about the pipeline uh, definitely will rate as one of the worst. Uh, that was a very very frustrating day uh, for for me and everyone around us. Um, Did you think it was a sure thing? I had a lot of confidence. That I I actually thought we were going to win. Yep. And and I think a lot. Of, I think most experts were surprised huh. by by that outcome. Uh, so that was a, a bad day. And uh, good days on the job, you know, there, there's been a lot of them. But uh, a- any time that 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 uh, I actually get to meet a, a a regular Albertan just in a sort of random kind of way, and they're able to tell me a story about something how something we've done has actually made a an appreciable difference in their lives, mm-hmm. that's really cool.
0: Is the job what you thought it was going to be?
2: Um, It is... uh, Is it? (laughs) (laughs) Every day is a new day. So uh, now it seems like it is. Maybe uh, the first uh, six months. It it has to
0: be overwhelming, honestly. I mean, to take over... A government has to be overwhelming. You, I, I can't imagine. It, it, it,
2: it was absolutely overwhelming, and the and the job changes um, as as uh, as as we go along, right? As you become more and more familiar with the issues that you're dealing with, the people you're dealing with, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's you know, but I would say it's not that different from what one would have thought if, if I'd spent mm-hmm. a lot of time imagining the day-to-day of being premier.
0: Bigger office, nicer parking spot? <laughs> uh,
2: great. Bigger office for sure. <laughs> nice, yeah, view. Yeah. Yeah. nice view. Nice um, yeah. view. Finally, is your
1: role as a leader of a province to lead Albertans towards your vision of the province or to follow the will of the people? Is it your vision that you want them to follow or do you follow the will of the people?
2: Uh, I think that it's, it's a bit of a combination of the two. How do you balance I it? Pardon me. How do you balance it? Well, a, that's a good question. I think that, uh, I, I mean, if if every political leader was simply there to follow the will of the people, then there would be no, no import, or, uh, no difference between political leaders, and so obviously the values and and the overall vision that people bring to the table, that's what folks are uh, voting for uh, every every four years or or however many years it is, and and uh, and so that's important, but. What happens when you get into government is you realize that okay, well we had this platform where we had staked out you know really strong position on these nine issues. How do we deal with the other 378 that have walked in the door since Tuesday? And uh, and and so there, it's really a matter about you know if your if your lens is simply you want life to be better for folks and you want to do the best that you can for the greatest number of people. It comes down. We found. That it comes down to talking to people. Uh, because the will is, sometimes the people don't have a, a a consistent will. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the people themselves are debating amongst themselves. And so the issue is, how do you find the best resolution? Actually, interestingly, coming from a background of, of uh, labour relations and, mm-hmm. and being labour, I'm all about trying to get people to sit down at the table and negotiate the best outcome and to have folks who are uh, against each other understand each other's positions. And then from there, try to come up with the best path forward. And, uh, and so that's a model that that we've taken to a lot of the problems that we've been presented with uh, since we've been elected, um, and and so I think that's a helpful strategy to get at this the will of uh-huh. the people uh-huh. um, thing. And then sometimes you know, as a politician, you're still out there door knocking, and you yeah. you hear people. And sometimes you know you'll think that one way is the right way to go, and then you'll be out there just talking to folks, and you'll go, "Wow, I really missed the boat on this." Uh-huh. And 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 I'm hearing it back from uh-huh. people. And so we got to change direction. And that is also, I think, an absolutely legitimate thing and an important thing for government leaders to uh, always um, be cognizant of and keep give themselves the opportunity
0: to take advantage of wish we had more time uh, we're yeah. up against the 3 30 news way now. up against the 3 <laughs> 30 news uh, oddly, thank you so much for taking the time to come in and talk with us today appreciate a pleasure. it yeah the 6 30 chad afternoon news with Jaylen nye and andrew gross weekdays at 2 on 6 30 chad